Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I am back with Lindsay McCatherine. Lindsay, it's a pleasure to have you on again. And I really have been thinking a lot about one particular question, okay? What steps does a new female, so a new female starts Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what steps does she need to take to get a blue belt? Um, So I think coming to class consistently would be the steps that you need to do or the step but the development that comes along with just that consistency and it doesn't necessarily have to be i don't think with intensity like you know brandon and i are completely different in our steps towards getting good at something so like i'm just i feel like i'm slow and methodical but i'm consistent and he's intense he's got that consistency too but he's got an intensity which makes him you know better a lot faster But if you're just consistently coming to class and drilling, then you're going to pick up the the qualities that you need for a blue belt. And so in my opinion, um, from white to blue is mainly about defense and knowing how you're going to be attacked and being able to keep yourself safe. So And so I'll kind of give you my... Um, you know, I've done a few episodes on blue belts, you know, mm-hmm. for people in general. But thinking, especially last night, I thought a lot about, are there any things that need to be added? Because I know that women come in sometimes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with different mindsets, you know, especially that self, more self-defense mindset. Mm-hmm. And they're also smaller. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. of the time, there's a huge weight and strength difference between their male uh, counterparts. And so what I tell people is there's three stages, like three really basic stages. And there's going to be things like in between each of these stages for the blue belt. But first is just getting comfortable, learning the movements, like the really basic movements of the vernacular, you know, getting comfortable with what's Mao, what's a Kimura, what's a this, what's that. Okay. After that, it's distinguishing yourself from new people. Mm -hmm. So... You've been training a year. I want you to be able to dominate a brand new person. Guy's been training two weeks. I want you to be able to dominate. And then that final step is just being competitive with other blue belts. Okay. And so that's what I, again, that's kind of what I break down when people ask me about it, especially new guys. Like, no, no, these are the three stages that that you're going to experience. Now, is there anything you would add for the female practitioner? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not looking at at offense very much but yeah the being com- competitive with people at your same like you've been training the same amount of time are you getting tapped are you guys going tap for tap are you going right you're not getting dominated by that person that started at exactly the same time as you but an- another thing i would add is being able to stand up mm. when you when you need to or getting yourself to a position that you can stand up so there for a while, you know, like I set a goal for myself, just see how many times in a round you can get to your feet. And, you know, in that case with the self-defense, then you can run or you can kick to the head or, you know, whatever you need to do. But yeah, just, so the mindset for me would be, are you defending yourself? Can, you know, are you protecting your neck and not getting choked? I tell a lot of the white belt ladies, um, you know, come in with your goal for the day is I'm just not going to get choked today. Um, you know, you may get me in an arm bar or something like that, but I'm just going to protect my neck today. So figure out where your hands need to be, where your elbows need to be, where you are positioned on your side, you know, and figure out where that choke is coming from, being able to prevent it. 
And so besides standing up, are there really any other techniques that you're like, you know, obviously you teach a women's class here. Are there any other techniques you think really need to be hammered home? Because what I'll do, especially for guys, for instance, you know, if I'm teaching a class and Monday night, for some reason, more than half of the class is over 200 pounds. So I really try and stick to techniques for the most part. 90, 80, 90% of the time I'm teaching Monday nights, I'm not going to be teaching things like De La Hivas and Barambolos and inversions. It's a lot more geared towards the bigger student, you mm-hmm. know, the larger student. Right. Um, and, you know, we're a lot more of a, hey, I want you to understand the mousetrap series. I want you to understand, obviously, you know, passing the half guard and, and things like that. But for yeah. women, like, what are you thinking when you're teaching a all women's class? And again, especially with that white belt to blue belt focus. Right. Well, most of our women have been here for at least a year or either coming on a year. And then we've got a couple or one blue belt, one purple belt who come kind of consistently. So I'm actually more, um, I'm working on passing the guard right now in our, in our ladies class. And that's not really what I would teach with a self-defense mindset, because that's going to be more like you're looking for a position in the game of jujitsu. Um, because if you're standing to pass, you can just turn and run. Um, so that's just more to get them better at moving their bodies and understanding, where hands and feet and knees need to be to be able to control your opponent from the top uh, to pass. But yeah, I mean, um, so those ladies, I'm looking to like tweak some more of their jujitsu skills to get them to blue. So, I mean, um, for a beginner class though, it would be more like uh, Gracie combatives, like keeping control of their hips and far, you know, put your, feet in their hips and controlling them from a distance or, you know, framing and that kind of stuff. But my class is more like, or I, I, say, I hate to say sport jujitsu because it's not like anything like super fancy or anything, but it's just passing the guard. I gotcha. And, you know, really thinking again, still thinking about that blue belt, like does Gracie combatives like matter? Like, do you want every female blue belt to know the Gracie combatives or, or at least have a good understanding of the Gracie combatives? Um, I mean, I, so I've never given out a blue belt. So, I mean, for me, I would think that it would be a great idea for them to go through that series because that is a lot. I mean, it's self-defense minded. Um, and it also teaches you to move from the bottom. Um, I'm not teaching it, but, and I don't think that it's essential for a blue belt for jujitsu, but I just, I think it depends on your mindset. I don't know, like what they're, what the woman is coming in with. Like, do I want to learn self-defense or do I want to be able to compete or do I want to, I don't know, just learn the art? So. I think a real, uh, a better question is, since you have never even out a blue belt, what would you want from your first blue belt? Like, what would you look for? I think that's a more, because generally speaking, Whenever you give out your first promotion, I've only given out, I've given out one purple belt and then a handful of blue belts. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the first one, it really makes you think about what you're looking for, like what your ideal, Mm -hmm. not like I want to, you know, rank the best blue belt of all time. Like, no, no, no. What's your ideal blue belt? What's your ideal purple belt? Okay. And so what is your ideal, like, hey, 
This is what I want my first blue belt to look like. Okay. So I'm thinking, this is my process as I'm thinking this through, is me rolling with this potential blue belt. So white belt coming on the, you know, the brink of blue. So if I'm passing their guard, so it's it's not an easy thing. They're tracking me as I'm moving from side to side. Um, and it's not just an easy thing for me to just toss them aside. You know, they've got good position, good posture. Um, and, and they're giving me a little bit of a fight on the pass. Um, once I do pass, cause I will pass, um, they're, they know to get, to not lay flat on their back. They're getting onto their side. And then if I'm going for a choke, they're there already knowing that the Dars is coming or that a guillotine is coming and they're there protecting themselves. So that's what I would feel like a good blue belt would do in that passing sequence. Um, if they're passing me, they're, uh, confident in their grips. They're not doing that white belt dance along the outside. They're coming in confidently, you know, maybe a knee cut or something like that. They know where to put their pressure as they're passing. Once they pass, they know, you know, this might be some of their offensive game, but they know where they're trying to get to either to mount north, south. And they move there. And so me on the bottom trying to bump them. They've got good base. They know where to base. Um, just those kind of competencies, I think. And what's funny is, is there's things. So, like, I've thought about a female blue belt. You know, again, as I said, something I've been thinking about for the past couple of days, probably past week. Um, it's been on my mind. And one big thing, and I, I've done this with the females, is uh, I just, I would never give out a female blue belt if they could not escape a blue belt guy side control. Never. Okay. I would expect them to be able to hold down a blue belt, like guys 10 pounds bigger than them. You know, okay. I'm not talking about the 250 pound guy, you know, that outweighs them by 100 plus pounds. I'm talking about, no, no, this guy's 140 pounds, you're a 130 pound female. I want you to be able to escape side control every single time. Like, hey, I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you two minutes to escape side control. You should be able to do that. And I want you to be able to hold down a white belt, like a white belt guy. I want you to be able to control the top position for a minute. Okay. Yeah. And so those are two big ones for me um, that are challenging. Mm -hmm. But for me, like with big guys, I don't care about that. Like, because I know like, hey, big, you know, 260 pound white belt. He just hulk out. Yeah, he's going to be able to hold, you know, he's going to be able to hold down a lot of people like naturally. Like he's just going to mm -hmm. have those advantages. And so for me, it's way more about the movements. Like, let me see your backwards roll. Mm -hmm. Dude, your backwards roll looks like crap. You're not getting a blue belt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know how I talk. <laughs> you know how I teach. So, like, that's the type of thing. Like, guys, and big guys, for some reason, they gravitate towards my classes. I don't know. I think they, they like that. <laughs> but I'm just like, dude, no, yeah, that looks terrible. Off. Do it again, you know? Where with females, it's like day one, they come in and it's like their backwards rolls. It's like, oh, a lot of them are like, whoa, mm. your backwards roll look great, you know? And so for me, those are kind of two things um, for any of you out there listening, females listening, is I, I want you to be able to hold down a white belt guy at will. Like, no, 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 you can control this dude. You have got you, your side control position. You can pin him and he's not getting out. And then against the blue belt guy, I want you to be able to escape. Because if you can escape that blue belt guy side control, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to escape anybody's side control, mount, you know, those positions, you know, out in the street, out in a self-defense situation. Yeah. So so that's what I was thinking a little bit. 
another big question for me, because I know me and you have talked about this over the past couple of months. Some of these females, as you said, are getting pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're really starting to excel and they need tougher challenges. When you start to grow a females program, what happens? Females only train with females. And so right. they'll do, they're training good. Yeah. They're drilling, they're rolling multiple rounds, they're training good, but they need to experience training with guys more. Right. So first, how do you get a girl to feel more comfortable rolling with another guy? And when should they start taking those challenges? Okay, well, I'll give you a specific example and... Actually, Matt and I handled this together, <laughs> but we have a girl that trains here indicator and she came in and she was already like, I won't say she's super aggressive, but she's kind of aggressive. <laughs> she's putting forearms in people's throats and so, and my daughter does the same thing. So, um, but all the other ladies were kind of like stuck, you know, and they would get in that position and. And so she was getting on top and she was dominating them. And we were like, okay, well, you're ready for the next step. You're being this, like, doing these things to these girls. You need to get transfer on or, you know, let's let's put some guys into your uh, regularly roll, regular rolling routine. And um, so we kind of challenged her. And I think that's what it needs to be is just like, okay, this is what we think, like, you know, you're grown up, you can do whatever you choose to do, whatever you're comfortable, but to see growth. And I think she accepted that even though it was out of her comfort zone, she's like, okay, to get better, this is what I have to do. And so she started incorporating one guy into every rolling session. And now I think she's, you know, she'll come in and roll with just all guys or whatever, if nobody, you know, if no girls are there, but I think it's, it's dependent on, the girl and what she's comfortable with and so a lot of our ladies sometimes won't even come to ladies class and they'll just come to like your class right afterwards so you know but um yeah so i think it you it's dealt with differently for each person if if someone were more like maybe if they had some kind of trauma in their past or something like that it may be uh, a lot harder to to incorporate guys into her training but um most of the time our ladies they venture out, you know, they see me going and rolling with you guys and they see Rachel and they see Nakaya rolling with the guys and they're like, Oh, well it must be okay. And they'll talk to me and they'll say, well, is he okay to roll with? And I'm like, you need to give him a few more months and let him settle down a little bit. Um, but you know, I said, if you're ever, if you ever have a question about any guy to roll with, just let me know, or you can talk to Scaff or talk to Brandon and, and, uh, they'll let you know what kind of role they are if they're too rough or you know yeah and so that's a really important important point like how do you decide you know who uh, you want these women rolling especially first exposure you know something Mm. like that where a woman's mostly she's trained six months but but mostly two three rounds with Mm. the same couple of ladies maybe she'll roll with an guy instructor because that's really common right you know brandon will call somebody out or they'll roll with me or keelan or somebody like that but when you start going, no, no, I want you to roll with the population, with everyone yeah. at the gym. You know, how important it is that kind of first exposure, that, that it stays uh, really controlled. And then how important is it for a woman to get roughed up in training, you know, to, to have those rounds where they're like, oh, my gosh, this sucks. This guy just beat the crap. You know, like yeah. he just side control pressured me, put all his weight on me, and I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, well, definitely first experience needs to be with an upper belt 
somebody who's been training a while and can control their body weight and their pressure. Um, you know, and make it a fun experience, that kind of thing. And no pressure, you know, just we're rolling, we're having fun, see how controlled this is, and you're perfectly safe, and we're just practicing jujitsu. Like, that needs to be first experience, I think, for anybody. But to get roughed up, like, in a role, I think that's important for everybody every once in a while. Like, I think you, you know, we're, we're kind of playing, you know, and I can tap and you can stop. But I think you need a realization every once in a while to be like, okay, this could get real bad, real fast. And so, yeah, sometimes, and, but sometimes you need to like challenge yourself to see what you can deal with, you know, like, can I deal six minutes with this guy who's spazzing on me and putting his shoulder into my chin, you know? Yeah, I can. And I'm okay still, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I think to put yourself in uncomfortable situations where you're still safe, we're still in a safe environment, but you realize, man, I need to train a lot more because I need to be able to handle that situation a lot better than I did just survive, you know, but I need to be able to get out and not just survive. So I think it puts your, your training in perspective when you get roughed up a little bit. And I hope that doesn't sound like I'm saying that girls need to get roughed up. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, I think we all understand where you're coming from because it is part we everybody that's ever trained has been roughed up, you know, whether you're a 300 pound guy or 115 pound female. And it is uncomfortable to watch sometimes because like nothing makes me want to murder a student more than watching him roll with especially a female and he's rolling too rough like i want to rip them limb from limb but i also like you said i understand that man that, that is an important part you know it shouldn't be something you know obviously the guy's going out of his way to like hey let me roll with the female so i can like get some yeah. so i can jack him up and feel good about myself we don't have that at our gym we've actually had that a couple of times at our gym in the past but that was years ago you know when we were more of a rougher like competition like mma gym yeah. but i mean that's there's nobody at our gym like that now but yeah it is it is important you know and i guess how often should i don't want to say like you should ever be seeking that but right sometimes you should sometimes you should be seeking like you said like hey that guy you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna go easy on me. He's not gonna take his weight off me. Like I, I need to find those roles. Like how often would you say a woman should seek that out? I don't know. I mean, I think probably once a month, I would say, but like if you are training with consistency, then you definitely need to travel outside your comfort zone with your regular training partners. If you want your game to expand, so I think you need to be, you know, maybe introduce one or two new people every time you roll, if that, you know, if the population allows that uh, at your gym. But yeah, I mean, you need to be challenging yourself because if you're growing, then that, that guy that's spazzing on you could be your marker for improvement. Like, oh, he didn't dominate, completely dominate me this time. You know, oh, I was able to escape from side control this time or you know, um, seek him out like once a month and, and test yourself and, you know, see where you are. And now moving on to, I, I think one of the most special parts about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is what? Seeing a smaller opponent beat a larger opponent. And there's nothing, nothing 
that happens in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that's more of a testament to the power of grappling in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than a woman beating a man. Mm-hmm. There's viral videos out there of, you know, like 15, 16-year-old blue belt <laughs> just dominating, you know, high school boys, and it's really cool to watch. And when I mean, we have a purple belt here that I know has made a couple of guys visiting or a couple of guys trying class, like she's jacked them up, tapped them four or five times in a round, and they've yeah. never come back. <laughs> when, yeah, that sounds bad, but it's like it, they needed it. But when did you first start beating guys? And is it important for a blue belt girl to be able to tap guys? Like, you know, hey, I'm a blue belt girl. Should they be expected to, you know, be able to tap, especially, you know, some of these white belt guys? Mm. But when did you start tapping? When did I start tapping guys? Yeah. Like, when um, did you, like, start consistently, like, oh, okay, I'm tapping guys? I think it was probably purple belt with consistency. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on, like, weight class and, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I would say purple belt. But... There was one guy, I'm not going to name any names, it was much smaller than me. I was beating him consistently, like at Blue Belt. But then he started training with some intensity, and then he started beating me. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I don't think that there's equality there, you know? I mean, especially with the, the muscle mass and all that kind of stuff. So, like, a female purple belt and a male purple belt the same size are not going to have this, like, there's not an equality there. Um, so I feel like I was always, I could always do better than like a belt below me or like a belt and a half below me. Like, I felt like that was my, mm-hmm. my quality. And, and they say, I mean, that makes sense because they say in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, or in grappling that every 30, 40 pounds is a belt level. And and so that would make sense, you know. Um, So would you expect a blue belt, especially kind of a seasoned blue belt female, to be able to tap white belt guys? Yes. So is that something that you, again, you'd expect, like, hey, you're getting closer to your uh, blue belt, like they should be giving some of these white belt guys trouble. Yes, especially in their weight class or a little bit smaller than them. Yes, for sure. And kind of moving on now into a little bit of different topic is just confidence. You know, I, I talked to, and we have such a large gym, we're very blessed. Talk to a lot of practitioners and, you know, one of the big things that always comes up is confidence. You know, trying to convince somebody that they're doing well. Mm-hmm. And you're somebody, and I think I, I really like your story because you have a very interesting story with, obviously, your husband, you know, finds this passion you start with your husband and you guys both find this passion for brazilian jiu-jitsu but you know being one of the one of the only females in the gym for a long time you know you were never the most competent practitioner no and so you know really just some tips you use to manufacture confidence as, as somebody now that's teaching and really taking a leadership role in a pretty major brazilian jiu-jitsu gym yeah, well, it's, it's really hard as a female because, I mean, jiu-jitsu is a boys' club. So, you know, sometimes you're the only female in the gym. And so it's really hard because there's not that equality there. And so, and a lot of times when you're training with guys, you can feel that they're not training with the same intensity that they train with dude over there in the corner. So it's really hard to judge yourself with a partner that's not going full speed and you're going full speed and 
you're tapping them, but you're like, is that a real tap? Because so it's hard to judge. Um, and it's hard to find that confidence when you don't know where your judgment line is or, you know, because with jujitsu and blue belts and purple belts, it's all subjective. And so you don't really have this like marker to go, yeah, I'm getting good. Unless you just judge yourself against yourself, which, you know, is the best marker, but you can't fight yourself, even though I'd love to fight myself. That's pretty awesome. But yeah, I, it's, I think a lot of it was like you and Brandon going, no, like you're good. And I'm like, well, y'all aren't really going really hard against me. And you're kind of just letting me tap you and all that stuff. And you'd be like, no, Lindsay, like you're good. And when new guys would come into the gym and they had white or blue belt and then I would tap them and that would give me confidence because I'm like, I know that guy's not going easy on me. Um, so, and then when those, uh, you know, you start working on your submissions and your offense and your you're picking up things consistently and you're, you know, you always get that confidence when you're on that learning curve and you've got that exponential growth going and you can feel yourself getting good. That's, that's, I think where I draw my confidence from, but yeah, I mean, mostly I think it was you and Brandon telling me like, Lindsay, just shut up. You're good. <laughs> and you know, you're somebody that, that sometimes doesn't take compliments well. No, I yeah. And I think there's a lot of people in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that struggle. Like, they just, I want to hear what I did wrong. I want to hear it. And it's like, no, 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 there's times. Look, I promise you, I will tell you what you did wrong. I, me, I will 100% as an instructor tell you that that was not good. Oh, I, I do know. it all the time. I've been yes. there, too. Yes, I do that all the time. But I also, there are times that you do amazing, and I'm blown away. And, you know, I'm talking about just anybody. Yeah. But some people don't want to hear that. You know, and again, as somebody that at times gets uncomfortable or doesn't want to hear compliments, mm -hmm. uh, how have you gotten better about taking compliments and kind of starting to accept that self, you know, almost to say self-love, that self-like, oh, no, no, like, I, yeah. I deserved, like, I did do well. Yeah, well, I think if, you know, when the the comments from your coaches and your instructors and the results that you're seeing kind of, you know, meet in the middle and you're like, oh, okay, it, it is real. Like I am good. And, and so, yeah, what people are saying and what's happening are actually, you know, both happening at the same time. I think that's what it did for me because you guys were giving me confidence and I was beating people. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm pretty So good. interesting. So it was a longer journey because they had to meet, you know, yeah. you, you had to feel like your results were honestly what you wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you could start hearing these compliments and going, oh, okay, maybe I am really good because yeah. I'm getting the results I finally wanted. So do you think that path of female confidence sometimes in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu takes a little bit longer than guys because the results are a little bit, usually a little bit more lacking, especially if there's not like a huge women's program? Right. And they're definitely delayed, you know, I mean, because we not, you know, not only have to overcome not knowing the techniques and being, not knowing how to move our bodies correctly, like most white belts. Um, but we have to, a lot of women have to get over the being uncomfortable in those close quarters and well, that might be something the guys deal with too. I don't know if, well, I'm sure it happens with guys that roll with girls. That's probably uncomfortable when you're some brand new strangers, but, um, but yeah, we have to deal with all the regular white belt problems, but we're also the only female in the gym or only me and another girl are the only ones there. And so we have to deal with the strength issue and then, you know, maybe guys not knowing how to control their body weight when it comes down on us. You know, we're like, Ugh. Um, but 
yeah, I think, I think it is a longer journey and we've got a little bit more to overcome. Now, moving on to kind of the last thing I want to talk with you about, obviously me and you do the commentary on the PGF and it's, we just work so well together. I mean, I really appreciate what you bring to the PGF commentary team. I mean, you really keep us on task and, and it's funny watching how organized you are and how unorganized I am. And I just show up, you know, I'm kind of like this rain man of jujitsu where I just like, no, like I just can like you remember all the matches. Like, I remember. Yeah. Like remember week two and like this guy did this and everyone's like, how did you remember that? And I'm like, yeah. dude, I don't know. But anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, it's funny, you know, um, just, we work so well together and I really want to just talk about the PGF because we are midway through a lot of these guys. Some of these guys only have five or six games left. There are quite a few guys that, you know, they have seven, eight games, but most of the guys, I mean, there's only a handful of games left where we're almost at the end of the season. And we really need to talk about the tournament, who is going to get in, who's going to be our number one seeds and who's in the bubble watch. Who's on the outside looking in or who's barely in right now that might not make it. And so let's go ahead and just start with the Eastern Conference standings because there's really a two-man race for there's really a two-man race for the thousand dollars. So either Elijah or Nilo are going to win one thousand dollars as the overall number one point getter during the regular season. And who do you got? Because it's three points separates them. We've got Elijah at 75 and Nilo at 72. But Elijah's had one more game than Nilo. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and three points is not a lot. Yeah. I mean, three Especially points is. Them, yeah. Two. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go with Elijah. I don't know. I mean, he's just so dominating right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's only got five games left. But who does he have left, though? I mean, that's the big question. I mean, our first match of tonight is Nilo versus Jonathan Roberts. And that's the big one. I mean, if Nilo can choke Jonathan, I think it really sets up Nilo to make, honestly, a really big comeback because first week he gets tapped by Elijah. And I kind of had written him off as, okay, well, you know, he's probably not going to get first place anymore. Mm -hmm. But he's been on this incredible streak. He's had one draw against the Scarecrow of Doom, Mm. but, you know, really dominated that match as well. And yeah, I mean, he's got six matches left. So I, I, how big is this Jonathan Roberts match for him tonight? That's pretty big. He's also got Matt Anderson tonight. Are you sure? No, that's Elijah. Elijah's got Matt Anderson. Okay, yeah, not Nilo. No, Nilo's only got one match tonight. I'm thinking of like Elijah's matches. So I know he's he's got Blake Randall, and he's got Matt Anderson, and I can't think of who else he's got. But who does Nilo have? Jonathan Roberts. He's just got Jonathan Roberts. He just has one match tonight. Yeah. So he's the first match of the night and then he's done. So Elijah has three though. Yes. But again, they're both, they both have, he's got five games. He's got six games. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Nilo's still going to have five games after tonight. So it should be pretty important for Elijah to get all chokes. Or both these guys, I mean. Just go ahead and make the distance. Both these guys, I mean, yeah. But if Nilo gets all chokes the rest of the way, I mean, he really holds his own destiny. Like, he will be the PGF champion. Yeah. So. That's so crazy. <laughs> but you, you still think Elijah's the, the guy? Yeah, but I think a lot of that's like, kind of, Elijah's my bud. No. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I like everybody's, but I, I, I really think Nilo set up, especially, you know, with this Jonathan Roberts match, if he can choke Jonathan tonight, uh, he's set up to, to win the PGF regular season. Um, Elijah's got a couple of tough matches left. I mean, he's got um, I, really both of them. They both face Jonathan Roberts. And if one of them gets a choke and one of them, let's say, gets a draw, maybe they both get a draw and it's just an even wash. Mm -hmm. But if one of them can get a choke and the other can only get a break or, you know, they draw or lose, then again, it really sets up. So Jonathan Roberts is, he's playing a big part in who gets this thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Now, well, but we've never seen him on defense very much. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's had an offensive movement on him. He's had a, really only one tough match. I mean, Jeremy Geiger was his toughest match by far. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jeremy almost took him to a draw. And yeah, that, that was definitely his toughest match. So like 30 seconds left. But his schedule is going to be hellacious the rest of the way. I mean, he's got Matt Elkins and he, he's got really the, the best guys the rest of the way. I mean, he's got Matt Elkins, Elijah, Nilo. Um, who else does he have? I, I believe he also has. He's got Moises next week. He's got Caleb McAllister next week. I mean, next weekend alone, he's got Caleb McAllister, Moises, and Elijah. <laughs> like, that's an insane. Uh, that's an insane night of work. So we'll really find out, like, is Jonathan Roberts for real? Like, is he the number one guy? Because he submitted everybody. Yeah. But he hasn't had the toughest road so far. I mean, again, what he's done has been insanely impressive. And he's a absolute fantastic uh, technician. Okay, so he's only had 13 matches. Yes, he's 13 for 13. But again, he hasn't really beaten anybody that, you know, like makes me go, whoa, you know, like he beat, you know, but, tapped, but if he taps uh, Nilo or and Matt Elkins tonight, like yeah. he, he's the number one guy, right? I mean, him and Elijah would be then the, the top two dudes. He's so far behind. I mean, well, I just I mean, mean yeah. uh, going into the tournament, you would go, oh man, I mean, yeah. Jonathan Roberts is the number one seed. Like, yeah, he, he point wise, he's not going to be the number one right, seed. But he's tapping everybody. But he's tapping everybody, and he's looking like the favorite to win that tournament. Yeah. So we're going to find out a lot about the elbow genie uh, over the next couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm really excited about that because he's been the people's one of the people's favorites. But really, looking at this Eastern Conference still, we've got Josh Daddario as our eighth guy getting in. And he has 17 points. So there's a big gap between him and Mario Gayor. So Mario Gayor's at 30. He looks, he's looking really safe right now. Josh in at 17 points. And then we've got Noah Randolph at 14. We've got Robert Gladden at nine or no, 12. And Steven Mitchell at nine. So it's really going to come down to. Uh, well, excuse me, I guess Robert Gladden has... Stevens at 12. Oh, excuse me. So Stevens at 12 and Robert Gladden's at 9. So of those three guys, who makes the playoff? Who's that number 8 seed? Is it Josh Daddario, Stephen Mitchell, or Robert Gladden? You don't think Noah? Oh, or Noah Randolph, excuse me. So Noah's in at 14 or 12. It's so hard to, Noah to see. Noah has 14. Okay, so Noah's at 14. He's and... had 14 games. And Josh has only had 13. He's ahead by three points. Okay. So Josh, Noah, or Steven, I guess, are really kind of the 10th the planet. Yeah, the and, and Steven's only had 12 mm -hmm. games. 
So of those three guys, who do you like to be in the eighth spot to make the playoffs? Because I think everybody else, Mario on up, is pretty secure. Like Josh has had his fair share of tough matches already. Like, see Matt Anderson and Elijah and them? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm not quite back. sure. I'd, I'd I know back. he's had some tough matches. I mean, I'm I mean looking, I know he's faced, you know. Yeah. I, I'm looking at Josh. I'm going to pick Josh because I'm thinking that he's had a bunch of uh, of his tough matches already. Okay. Um, and he's, you know, he's at 13. So, like, Steven's one below him. Noah's one ahead of him. Uh, Game-wise. No. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got you. Game-wise. Game and then, and he's ahead you know, like at least three points ahead of Noah, so he's got a a break. Yeah, I really like Stephen Mitchell as that number eight spot. I, okay, so I know Stephen's Mitchell ha I know Stephen has an easier schedule coming up the rest okay. of the way. Like he's had a lot of his tough matches, mm-hmm. and I just I like some of the matches that he had. Like him versus Mario was one of my favorite matches yeah. of, of the season, and I've said that multiple times. It was just a really technical match. And Stevens had some some really good matches. Didn't get the finish in a couple that I know he's probably regretting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really set up to pass Noah and Josh for that eight seed. But that's definitely going to be for me. It's just an add layer, especially as we get closer and closer towards the tournament. Is again, who's going to be that number eight spot? You know, that's just as exciting to me as that Elijah Nilo battle. In some ways, it's more exciting. It's like, man, the bubble, like who's going to be on the outside looking in? Who's barely going to make it? Because all their matches really, really matter, you know? Honestly, a guy like Seth Tatum, it's like Seth's like, he's at 51 points. Like his matches aren't as interesting to me now as Josh, Noah, and Steven because Seth's going to end up at that number four spot. He's well behind um, Matt Elkins, Nilo, and Elijah, but he's got a big lead against Jeremy, Eric, and Mario. So, Seth's going to be the number four, you know. He's going to be the number four seed. Well, I definitely think there's a possibility for Steven to come up, especially with just having 12 games. I would really love to see Steven just, like, pump up that aggression and just, like, put some kills away. I'd love it. Yeah, and looking at who they face tonight, I mean, let me see here. So we've got, I believe Steven's got three matches tonight. Well, he has a scratch he was supposed to face. So there's two points for Steven. So he's got two automatic points against, uh, you know, Ridge Blackburn dropped out. And who else does he have? I believe he's got two more matches. He's got Mike Johnson and Noah Randolph. So really that Noah Randolph-Steven Mitchell match is huge. I mean, if one of them could find a choke, they're really set up for that number eight spot. And then Steven's got Mike Johnson and Mike is one of the only guys, I believe Mike doesn't have any submission wins. Yeah, so Mike doesn't have any wins this season. So he's given up the most points, or I guess second most points in the season. So Mike's given up 71 points. So Steven really needs to find a choke against Mike Johnson. Right. Like that's one of the ones that's a must choke for him if he wants to get that eight. Yeah. Yeah. And if he beats Noah, then they like end up tied, right? It goes head to head. Yes. Okay. Yes. And now moving on to the Western Conference, which, in my opinion, is a lot more interesting because a lot of guys still have a chance at the number one seed. Joe Kai is really a guy that I look to that, man, he could possibly finish number one. I mean, Caleb McAllister, definitely the best guy 
in the Western Conference. Very, very impressed with Caleb. But he's had a lot of... Um, he hasn't had any really tough matches. His toughest match has been Kevin. He really dominated Kevin, couldn't put Kevin away, but he was supposed to have a couple of other matches against Black Belts, and those guys just weren't here. So I really am looking forward to seeing Caleb face some of the top dogs mm. because I haven't, like a lot of his matches have been super quick. I mean, he beat Josh Dario real quick with that heel hook, um, and he's had a couple of matches like that where just really quick submissions, and he looks like that's his mindset. He doesn't look like the first match against Kevin – he came in to choke Kevin, and he ended up getting a draw, and I think that really irritated him. So I think now he's like, dude, I know I'm not going to get first place overall, so that $1,000 is out for me. Yeah. I'm just here now to submit every single dude. So I think we could see if, like, Joe Kai especially is just going for chokes. I mean, if Caleb gets kind of just submission happy and just taking any submission, the quickest whatever one that he can, can, yeah, whatever one he can, we could see Joe Kai finish number one. Both have eight games left. I think that's a really interesting storyline the rest of the way. And, I mean, Moises, he's in at 15 games, though. I mean, do you think there's any chance Moises finishes even ahead of Joe or Caleb? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, I've been pretty impressed with Moises. Though. Yeah, he's I've been good. Like, yeah, but I don't know that he's going to finish ahead of those guys. At 48 points right now with 15 games. And really, the most exciting, the most exciting part um, or the storyline for me for the rest of the season is the number eight and seven seeds in the Western Conference. I mean, Kevin's pretty secure in there with 38 points right now, but we've got Blake Randall in at 31, and then we've got Dallas Sharp at 30, Clay Malone at 28. Um, Hodger scratched Mike Ritchie at 23 Lewis Collins at 21 and even Dennis is in there at 18 but there's quite a few guys that and especially between Blake Dallas and Clay that's a really interesting yeah especially I really like those young guns non-stop action Dallas and Blake Randall Blake's had a really tough past couple of weeks he started off on fire but he started with five submissions in a row but he's had a really tough um, yeah, he's had a really tough week, and this weekend he's got Caleb McAllister and Elijah Carlton. So you got to think there's no way he gets any points in those matches, right? Right. And so we've got Dallas Sharp, though, and who's Dallas got? So let me see here as well. Dallas has Kevin. So Dallas is at 15 games, and Blake Randall's at 14. And Clay Malone's also at 14. So Dallas has had one more than both of them. So. Dallas has Kevin. So Kevin, you got to think it's going to be really difficult for him to get a, a win there. And Dennis. And Dennis. So he really needs a choke on Dennis tonight. I think that's it. Because all three of these guys, I mean, Blake Randall, Dallas, and Clay, it, it, blue belts. And it would be a mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge victory for them to finish just to get into the tournament. Right, yeah. Um. And so Clay Malone's got Caleb tonight. So Clay Malone's got Caleb McAllister. You, you got to think that's a, that's a loss. And who else does he have? Clay has Kevin. And he's got Kevin. I mean, Dennis. And so they both. So Dennis Smith. So we have another where Dennis Smith is really like how Clay. Yeah, like how Clay and Dallas do against Dennis is going to be really important to. Um, their bids to pass Blake Randall. Because you got to think, again, Blake Randall, he's going to be at 16 games after this weekend, and he's going to get zero points tonight. 
unless just something crazy happens. And Dallas and Clay both have a match against Dennis Smith. And Dennis has been tough, but he's a white belt. He still makes some some pretty big mistakes at times. And they both really would like a choke against him. Yeah, so I'm looking that Dennis is going to bring those guys out to a draw. Well, of those three guys, you got Blake Randall, Dallas Clay. Who makes the eight spot? Mm. I, I think... No, I've been super impressed with Blake. I mean, I know he's not going to probably have any more points after tonight, but I think the rest, I mean, he's still got six more games. Well, he'll only have four more games after tonight. Yeah, four more, and he's going to be at 31. That's rough. Man, that's really a tough (laughs) call right there. I want to go out on a limb. Maybe Dallas. Clay, the big issue with Clay is his best weapon is the straight ankle lock. And so a lot of mad times he's going to get three points. Dallas is definitely has, has, seems to be a better choke artist. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's better at chokes than Clay is. So you'd think Dallas has an advantage there. I think Blake Randall, depending on his last four games, has got to be the favorite, though. Yeah. I, I think he's looked um, just a little cleaner than both of them, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. And so I'm going to say that the, the boy wonder makes it. Blake Randall's going to be that number eight spot. Yeah. I mean, that's what my gut says because I just watching him and his skill and his experience and, and he just, yeah. he, and he competes like so well. I mean, and so do the other two, man. I mean, Dallas and clay also compete well, but, but Blake really is just a natural competitor. Yeah. He, he looks like one of those guys that, I mean, he wants to compete every weekend, and he expects to win. And so since he's had this hellacious run of, of opponents, you got to think the last four games are probably going to be pretty easy, mm-hmm. especially – I mean, it doesn't get harder than Caleb and Elijah, our number one and two ranked competitors. A rough night. In the, yes. So learning moment for Blake tonight, and I think the rest of the way, the last four games should be a little bit easier. Yeah, and I, I, I can – just by watching him compete, like I think just the mindset going into those last four games is going to be pretty intense. Like yeah. he's going to be like, okay, I'm going to clean house here. And big news, the last thing I want to talk about PGF-wise is we are going to be, uh, for the tournament, we're going to be at Epic Church. So Epic Church has this amazing facility. It's indicator, amazing facility. I'm telling you, the facilities are world-class. I'm so impressed when I got a um, – they took me through a tour of mm. the building, and it was just just top-notch everywhere. Beautiful facility. And we're going to have that. We're going to be in there on their big stage. So I'm really excited to see what Keelan can put together, what Brandon can kind of produce, especially yeah. working a little bit with Epic. I, I think the product for the tournament is going to be top-notch. Like It's going to be a whole nother level, right? Yeah. So this place used to be a movie theater. Mm, okay, and they I didn't bought know that. it and renovated it, right? And so, like, it's it's got a lot of seating, and but they've got it set out, uh, set up with like lights and all this kind of stuff. So I think it'll look really cool. Yeah, and we're gonna have actually a live audience. So that's been one of the big things that's hurt the PGF this season is that you know people can't come in, right? Um, so we are going to have a live audience. We have already checked and we can have, I think he said 200 people socially distanced in the facility at the same time. So that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And I miss having an audience. Yeah. I really do. And I know athletes do. I I know 
whether you're in, in the NBA right now or Major League Baseball, those guys are missing. They miss the fans. Yeah. I wonder, though, like, because, you know, especially with how close we are to the actual competition going on and you doing the commentary and you're like, I wish you would just look for that underhook or something like that, you know? And so just like with the UFC, everybody can hear what the corners are saying. And so I wonder how different it's going to be with, you know, you'll have the crowd noise yeah. now and then they won't be able to hear you or they, you know, might not be able to hear their coaches as, as well. So yeah, it would be really different. cool to kind of get a raucous crowd, you know, to kind of get a 200-person crowd and especially work our way to, shoot, if you could ever get 500 or 1,000 people, you know, coming out to watch a jiu-jitsu tournament or a jiu-jitsu league like this, 30 matches, Joe Kai calls his flying triangle and hits it. Can you imagine having 500 people there to cheer and to just, you know, go crazy? Oh, it would, the atmosphere would, I think, would really even take the PGF to a whole nother level. So all you guys that are interested in, you know, hey, I want to go to a PGF or I want to like watch these matches live. I think that's going to be your first opportunity. It's going to be an epic church. We're going to do that 16-man. And there's also going to be a four-man tournament under 225 pounds to crown season two. So before we even start season two, we are going to crown a champion. So there's going to be a guy going in there as the number one dude. And then we're going to fill out the rest of the 31 spots. I'm sure whoever's in that tournament will also do the season. But man, it really sounds like Brandon's going to, going to get some really, really top-notch guys for that four-man tournament. So I'll be really interested when he finalizes that to see who the four guys are. But I really think that's going to be worth seeing. Um, even if you didn't, we didn't have the 16-man, I think that four-man bracket's going to be amazing yeah i'm excited because i i want to see some new competitors and see what what we have in store for season two yeah i still i still wish it was under 250 pounds i would like to see there be even (laughs) bigger guys i just i love seeing the huge weight differences i would love to see a 185 pound guy like kevin primo step in against a guy that's you know cutting to make 250 i would love to see that match i think the styles would really make those matches exciting again a guy like Paced like Kevin versus somebody that's just trying to crush them, you know, mm-hmm. and just see who wins. Yeah, but that's a big guy. It's under two hundred fifty. Yeah, and we have a couple guys here that I was hoping to get in that are right around mm-hmm. that two sixty mark that could easily make two fifty. And they're like, no way. And, well, <laughs> no well, there's no way they can do two twenty five. So, yeah. yeah, maybe next time. But any final thoughts? That's really what I wanted to talk about today. I, you were the, the perfect guest because I really wanted to talk about, especially about women um, and, and blue belts. But do you have anything you want to say? Um, I, I think that, of course, it's easy for me to say once I've got my black belt. But, you know, don't worry so much about the belts. Worry about the knowledge and the results, you know, because there's nothing you can control about when you're going to get your belt. Like, you can't control that at all. What you can control is going to practice however many times a week you normally go to practice. Making it at practice, finding a drilling partner that you and them work really well together and, um, you know, just getting the reps in and just learning whatever it is you need to know. Getting the skills and don't worry, the rank will come, you know, if you stay consistent. So don't stress out. Very, very true, Lindsay. Thanks again for coming on. You just you've helped me so much uh, in my own life as well as my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, journey as well. You're gonna be on again. All right. Soon, but not too soon. <laughs>
You guys make sure you tune into the PGF every Friday to hear me and Lindsay bring you some of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu action out there. Some of the best. Until next time, guys. Love you. Appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Peace.